0: Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale episode 3. Here we are. (laughs) After two whole episodes we're still going.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Bodes well for the future. Mm. I'm Eason. I'm Bex. And this episode, as promised, we are going to be talking a little bit about the return of Twin Peaks.
0: Mm. I think you'll be talking a lot about the return of Twin Peaks.
1: Probably, yes.
0: Not just today, but over the next six months.
1: I've had 25 years to come up with ideas about things <laughs> I want to talk about, and now is the time. So, what have we been up to in the last couple of days, beyond fiddling around with websites and podcast hosters and uh, various things?
0: Mm. I finally finished Twilight Princess. That was very exciting.
1: Yeah, it hasn't taken like millions of years from GameCube times. This is the, <laughs> uh, the HD version, which yeah. is on the Wii U.
0: When did I start it about? Six months ago, when I finished yeah. Skyward Sword, yeah, which we... did take about four years. Yeah, that did take four years. Yeah. Uh,
1: from start to finish.
0: Curse you, Silent Realm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed Twilight Princess. Um, I finished the storyline yesterday. Still a couple of bits of the story side quests and things I haven't done. I'm not sure if I'll try again those caves, but uh, it's a story for another time.
1: Yeah. And there is a bit of a wait until Breath of the Wild, so maybe you might dip into it, might not.
0: I might... Or I'm kind of tempted to try Wind Waker HD.
1: (laughs) Not again. It's another two years. (laughs) Oh dear. Although, to be honest, who knows when the next game is out. So maybe you will end up replaying all these things.
0: Mm, That's true. But also, I am about to start Pokemon Sun and Moon, which will probably keep me going until the Switch comes out.
2: Yay! Yay.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yes, from the TP of... Twilight Princess mm. to the uh TP of Twin Peaks which oh. is the uh, the topic of this week's episode
0: I see what you did
1: there yeah very clever <laughs> I've been working on that for a while but it needed a point not where we had the Twin Peaks thing that was always going to happen but yeah. to have a, a lead-in mm. with another thing with the same initials yeah. but anyway yeah so um that's going to be the general topic this week we're both big Twin Peaks fans and as you may or may not know Twin Peaks is returning for its third season after 26 years, Uh, quite a long gap between seasons. Um, It's returning next year and it'll probably feature uh, quite frequently on this podcast in the coming months uh, because I will insist on it. But also um, there's a new book which has just come out called The Secret History of Twin Peaks and um, I've just been reading that and listening to the audio book and I thought it'd be fun to talk about that. So let's crack on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Twin Peaks, that's a relatively big topic, which we will be returning to on occasion uh, over the next few months, certainly. For those of you who don't know it, um, Twin Peaks was a show that originally aired uh, in 1990-1991, which, I mean, to be honest, it kind of defies an obvious categorisation. It was a mystery show. It was a crime crime thriller. There were supernatural elements. There was comedy and farce interwoven with Mm -hmm. it. There was a strange sense of otherworldliness and potential paranormal elements to it. At at the time, and to be honest, even now, it's still a groundbreaking show. But essentially it dealt with the murder of a young girl in this town called Twin Peaks. And it follows the investigation into her murder by an FBI agent called Dale Cooper, who uh, in the process of investigating this crime sort of gets to know the town and understand how beneath this nice facade of a sort of perfectly functioning happy town there are lots of buried secrets and mysteries that he unravels along the way.
0: And it's something that is extremely hard to define I think and it's interesting that even now where we're so used to there being so much Genre TV that is very popular, um, that is very in depth and complex. Even now, it is still almost impossible to really define what Twin Peaks was. And back when it first aired, it just came like a bolt from the blue, really.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think it very much fits the the canon of sort of David Lynch movies. And obviously, some people really like David Lynch films. Some people don't. Certainly, he's a very polarising filmmaker now. But back then, to have somebody of David Lynch's stature... I mean, this was coming off The Elephant Man, films like A Razorhead, uh, films which were very successful, critically acclaimed. This guy, who was on a trajectory of making very unusual, strange, otherworldly films, uh, started to work on a TV show um, in collaboration with Mark Frost, who co-created it. And there are lots of stories about how the ideas came together. And I think it essentially has so many different strands all interwoven that it's probably hard to kind of encapsulate in a, in a single sort of one sentence pitch. So how they got this thing made in the first place, um, I don't know.
0: Oh, And remarkably, this was before the X-Files, wasn't it? Yeah. And people look back on the X-Files as this, you know, very crucial groundbreaking moment in television where an awful lot of T V that has come since goes back to the X Files and the way that they built these huge mythologies yeah. and very complex stories and um but this is almost the well really the thing that predates everything. Yeah. The thing that made all of these other shows possible.
1: Yeah, I think almost all genre shows and potentially a large number of um, sort of big dramas you see these days, uh, especially US ones, all have some link to Twin Peaks. It's clear that we're probably at a point where the, the generation of filmmakers now or TV uh, makers is, is of the era that would have watched shows like Twin Peaks and has been heavily influenced by it. So I think everything that's currently on TV might owe some debt to it, uh, whether they like it or not, um, because things have gone through so many generations now that that people have forgotten about it. But Twin Peaks really was it brought so many elements to tv that hadn't been seen before like you say this kind of idea of very complex storytelling multiple characters non-linear plots the ability to really play around with what could be shown on television and not i mean certainly Mm -hmm. this was on a major network on abc and it it did things which i mean they would be tough to potentially show now on a network tv show and just in how weird they were they were or in terms of how um controversial some of the uh, subject matter was but to think this was happening back in 1990 is Mm. very very strange i think all those things make it even um all the more groundbreaking
0: and i think its influence on everything that came after is even more remarkable when you consider that it only ran for two seasons Mm. and the second season was beset by quite a few problems. Um, Given that it aired so long ago, we're probably at the point where we can talk about the plot, I guess, (laughs) which which we are going to do. So um, just to put that up front, we're going to talk about what happens in the show and the identity of the killer and all those things. So if you don't want to hear that, go and watch Twin Peaks and then come back and listen to the (laughs) podcast. Um, But in season two, um, is it right that Essentially, David Lynch didn't want to reveal the identity of the killer yet, yeah. but the network wanted him to and basically forced his hand a little bit.
1: Yeah. So the show was built about the central mystery, who killed Laura Palmer? And over the first season, they developed lots of plot strands about the potential uh, people who might be involved, the motives, etc. But they clearly set themselves on a path of knowing that who killed Laura Palmer is just a MacGuffin for the show. It was never really meant to be resolved that quickly. It was more of a tool to understand what was going on you know, in the town and allow uh, the investigation to reveal potentially even bigger mysteries that mm-hmm. were going on. The problem is the show became really popular. So the first season was only seven or eight episodes and it was huge when it was on. And I think people weren't used to having a show that potentially would be that open ended and that weird without people you know i think there was a fear that it would lose viewers unless they revealed the killer very early on and and things like that and they resisted it for a while but it was decided by the network that uh, the killer would be revealed relatively early on in season 2 and yeah spoiler alert it's uh, Laura's father Leland Palmer um, who's a who's a murderer but at the time it turns out he's actually possessed by an inhabiting spirit called Bob and this is the killer bob um, who then uh, features heavily throughout the rest of the series the problem is by revealing the killer eight or nine episodes into season two, and having another ten odd episodes to go, but probably no real plan for what they should do. The show does falter for a few episodes as it tries to uh, spend a bit of time working out where to go next, and there are lots of subplots and bizarre, unusual storylines that take place. Sometimes just for an episode, sometimes for a few, are some more successful than others. But it takes a few episodes for it to finally gain momentum again, mm. where it redefines um, a new mystery, which is essentially uh, what's going on in the woods around Twin Peaks and linking into all these uh, strange dreamlike experiences that Cooper has. The idea of these strange spirits that could inhabit these metaphysical lodgers that exist in the woods.
0: Mm. And they introduce a new uh, antagonist, Dale which is his former partner in the FBI. Um, what's his name again?
1: Uh, Winder Merle. That's the one. Who basically turns up in lots and lots of very poor disguises <laughs> which may have seemed quite confusing back in 1990s. You can kind of see through it now. <laughs>
0: so it, it loses its way. It, it, it kind of gets it back again but I think at the time it it lost quite a lot of viewers yeah
1: it was moving around between days um uh, uh, you know when it was being shown and i think eventually it kind of petered out yeah which is a shame because it kind of really picks up towards the end of season two and it leaves this tremendous cliffhanger Mm. at the end where cooper finally enters one of these metaphysical lodges the um the black lodge and there are lots of events leading up to it but essentially it leads to one of the strangest and most disturbing hours of television that I think has ever aired.
0: Yeah. Um, so David Lynch came back to direct the last episode, yeah. didn't he? After stepping away from it um, during through the second half of season two. And no matter how many times I watch that last episode, there are moments of it that completely freak me out. Yeah. It's It's just weird and unnerving in a way that I don't think anything has ever really matched since. Yeah,
1: I think it's it's very typical of the of the films that came out after Twin Peaks from David Lynch. So there are you you see that final episode and you can see that this guy was going to go on to make Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. Uh, probably not the straight story, but <laughs> um there was just a sense of this guy wanting to really break loose and play with the formula probably knowing that with the show about to be cancelled he could do whatever he wanted Mm. and make a deeply unsettling hour of television where some of the mysteries are resolved but many more are raised and then Mm. unfortunately the show was cancelled only to be followed i think a year later by the film fire walk with me
0: which is a prequel to the to the show
1: yeah it's largely a um a prequel And it does contain elements that tie into the show, but it still doesn't explain what's going on. It merely deepens some of the mythology that takes place. And actually, an important thing is with Fire Walk With Me, that was very much a David Lynch movie. It was co-written, I think, by Bob Engels, who worked on the TV show. But very few of the writing team or even Mark Frost, the co-creator, were involved in that film. So it took it in a slightly different direction. And although it is obviously canon... It is a very odd follow up to Twin Peaks and people really weren't satisfied, I think, because some people wanted this film to resolve all these mysteries in a in a neatly wrapped uh, movie. And that, that just wasn't going to happen.
0: And also being a film, they were able to be a little bit more extreme than they were able to be on, on a network TV show. Yeah. So the the, the film is also quite disturbing and and strange but but you're right it's moving even further in the direction of the filmmaking that he would go on to do after that yeah one of the fascinating things that was around within the story right from the beginning i think right from the first episode is this dream or vision that dale cooper has of himself meeting laura palmer in the black lodge 25 years later so they're all 25 years older and he he has this vision of himself there and Laura tells him something and he wakes up and he can't entirely remember it and that's part of what makes it more remarkable now that they are really coming back after 25 years
1: so I think yeah it's it probably wasn't an intentional thing that they would ever come back after 25 years but it's it's a striking moment in the TV show to see all these characters ga- uh, gathered in in the red room which also features the uh, a character known as the man from another place who is uh, the short guy in the red suit who talks backwards which is one of these funny tropes which now exists and mm-hmm. um, you know I mean it's it's around everywhere but it, but it came from Twin Peaks and it's this idea that they seeded this concept which which to be honest works within you know it works within the show mm-hmm. um, It's fine just to have a scene set. Uh, in the future simply because it's a dream you don't really know when it's happening but Cooper says that he um, he has a dream and in Laura's diary um, she also talks about having the same dream as well when she meets Dale Cooper um, saying that they meet in the future and they have this conversation they interact and in the very last episode of the show I believe it uh, includes the famous line I'll see you again in 25 years Mm. and to be honest for the last 24 years i suppose people have thought wow that's a strange mysterious odd ending <laughs> and uh i think a year ago two years ago it was actually announced that after that very very long gap uh, twin peaks would be returning to television for a third season and indeed next year 2017 it was going to be this year but it's been moved David Lynch and Mark Frost are putting together a new series of an unknown un- a number of episodes which reunites um, a lot of the original cast, brings in a huge number of new people and they are all going to be turning out for this currently you know, unknown Twin Peaks Season 3. No one has a clue what's going to happen, um, no one knows where the plot is going to go, what's mm. going on. But for those of you who have watched Twin Peaks in the past, uh, you are pretty already aware of this, and it's extremely exciting to see not only a return to the Twin Peaks universe, but also for fans of David Lynch. It's the first thing he's done since Inland Empire, which was some time ago, I think 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. So also for a guy who doesn't make many movies um, and certainly doesn't make things for the sake of it, it's kind of exciting to think that he's decided at this point to uh, return to Twin Peaks and... Uh, potentially pick up the story 25 years on and mm. we can see exactly what's happening And i think unlike any other show that is returning after such a long hiatus i think the possibilities for a new series of twin peaks are very very exciting mm. um and i'm talking like ben white levels of exciting <laughs> um, because i think it's going to be potentially a groundbreaking show again but to be fair it's going to have a lot of people who are not going to be expecting, I think, certain things and they may be there'll be the there'll be a potentially quite interesting response from people who are fans of David Lynch, fans of Twin Peaks. Maybe it goes in a completely different direction. There are people who hate both of those two things. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. But it's exciting that these people are returning to it after this long.
0: It's it's also very exciting how little information there is out there about what it's going to be. The very small snippets of things they've put on teaser trailers and things like that haven't really given anything away. And w- we talked a couple of weeks ago a little bit about how frustrating it is for a lot of films these days when you have too much information up front. You you see too much in the trailers, you practically know what the plot's going to be, everything's expected and there are no more surprises. And part of what's so exciting about this is that everything is going to be a surprise. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's any way of second-guessing what he's going to do, um, or even how he's going to do it. What how, what is the feel of the show going to be like? Will right. it even be the same? Um, who are all of these new characters? It's it, it's something that is completely unknown, and they are keeping it so heavily under wraps that it's just building the excitement. Um, it doesn't it doesn't need any hyping from releasing too much information. All of the hype comes from the fact that it's been so long, and I think the fact that a network would spend what must be a substantial amount of money on an unknown number of episodes of something that they're going to get at the end of it uh, is a testament to how important a lot of people realised the original show was um, and how much excitement there is going to be from it coming back. It's it's something that I, I think people must have just never thought would ever happen. Yeah.
2: It's
1: like talking heads getting back together. It's just not going to happen. But actually, maybe, maybe even there's hope for that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I think one other thing to follow up on what you're saying is, you know, Twin Peaks was really a product of its time. You know, so back in 1990, it aired probably amidst the usual um, dramas that were on the major networks. And it was it kind of spoofed those things. I mean, it was part soap opera. Mm. Um, it was part murder mystery, just took it in a very different direction. And I think a lot of David Lynch's stuff is is very much of its time. I mean, I think everyone always thinks that he is always making the same kind of weird movie over and over again. And you know, I think what actually happens is that he's fully aware of what's going on in popular culture. And I think he does exploit the fact that there are trends and ideas which are floating around. And he likes to completely subvert them however, um, however way he wants. And I think even in that time, he must have been itching to make Twin Peaks. Because obviously there are elements of uh, Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire that are very closely fit the tone of Twin Peaks Mm. and I think David Lynch has even said that Mulholland Drive is essentially in the same universe as well but what he's going to do with Mark Frost now I mean I think like the TV landscape has changed it's not really necessary to spoof the whole kind of soap opera element I mean maybe he wants to go in a completely different direction I mean Mm. one point of view is that it's going to be again a uh, you know maybe a 12 episode serialized story that takes place 25 years later maybe it has nothing to do with twin peaks as we knew it it could be completely different and the possibilities are really exciting and i think to move on to sort of our main topic for what we wanted to talk about there's been a bit of a resurgence and in interest in the show and earlier this year i think about two months ago uh mark frost who was a co-creator on the show Uh, released a new book called The Secret History of Twin Peaks and that was released as a standard uh, hard copy book but also a a really cool audio book as well um, which accompanies the whole uh, piece and it's meant to I think at least keep Twin Peaks fans sated for Mm -hmm. the remaining six months or so until it starts but uh, I've just gone through it and I thought it'd be really good to kind of talk about that as well.
0: So I haven't read the book yet. Um, I've been listening to bits of the audiobook, but you've read the whole book and you've listened to the whole audiobook, haven't you? Yeah. So how is the book structured?
1: So uh, the book is structured as what I have recently learned is called an epistolary novel. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know, which basically means it's a a novel which is presented as a dossier. So lots of different documents and it's 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 a single book, but it contains copies of transcripts, newspaper reports, um, diary entries, double R diner menus, photographs, um, all kinds of different pieces, which in the context of this book were all collected by a character known only as the archivist, who has made this large dossier. And the premise, which is introduced at the very beginning of the novel, is that At some unknown crime scene very recently, so this is in 2016, this dossier has been found by the FBI and uh, Gordon Cole, who was played by David Lynch in the original TV show, has assigned a new character called, I think it's Tamara Preston, referred to as Agent TP, curiously, um, throughout the book, uh, to go through this dossier and try and work out who made it what's going on inside it, what it all means, and present it back to them as a means to kind of understand exactly what's going on. So it's a collection of documents, and it's filled with her own uh, views, footnotes, and comments um, on the whole thing. And so if you read it, it's a a difficult thing to actually read. I mean, I've never read a book that's made up of these kind of documents. Mm. But it's meant to put together the actual history of the location of twin peaks and some of the events that we know about the tv series uh stretching back um, initially to the uh, days of lewis and clark and their uh, discoveries made in that part of the uh, country
0: mm. so i've i've listened to that early part of the audiobook um which covers the whole lewis and clark section which i found really interesting because it's not a subject i know very much about i i know very little about them Uh, but I now understand the pun of the title of Lois and Clark the New Adventures of Superman. Um, But that part of the audiobook was really fascinating, Um, and it really does take you all the way back to the beginning of the fact that even before the town existed, there was something very strange going on in the woods in that area, and that people were aware of some unknown potentially supernatural we don't really quite know what it is danger really lurking out there and i i really really enjoyed listening to that bit so is the 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 way that they do the audiobook um with the people reading out the sections that's basically the sections of how the documents are presented in the book
1: yeah so it's so it's essentially a normal audiobook so they've got members of the cast of twin peaks to actually read uh, read the whole piece some of them are doing the characters they played such as carl mclaughlin who returns as, as dale cooper but there are lots of other people who were part of the show who play multiple different roles and so they basically read through the whole thing including all the foot um, all the annotations the footnotes etc and i have to say you know it's a great audio book it's very atmospheric it's fun to listen to mm-hmm. but it is really cool to read it alongside the book as well because there's so much to take in and actually by reading the book, there's a lot you see in the pictures which are actually quite important, and there are lots of little hidden codes and Easter eggs I think scattered throughout the book that are worth, um, you know, are worth thinking about. I think the really interesting thing as well is that this is not the book that anyone was expecting. So I think originally when they announced this book was going to take place, it was going to be, I think the original blurb said that it was it would be a book that would fill people in on the lives of the inhabitants of Twin Peaks in the last 25 years. So really like a book that would fill in those events and bring people up to speed as the new series started Um, what we've actually ended up with is a very well-researched sort of historical novel which is intermingled with um, the Twin Peaks mythology and actually curiously creates a lot of unusual elements that were which were potentially hinted at in in the tv show but never really expanded upon so there's a lot more of a conspiracy tone to this book there are elements of involvement of the US government there's the potential role of aliens there's these ideas about uh, these spirits being linked to Native American mythology and then there are more specific points which relate to aspects of the show in the current uh, timeline but which actually suggest that there could be an element of an unreliable narrator at work there are elements of the plot which are explicitly gone over in the secret in the secret history of twin peaks but which don't really fully correlate with what we know happened in the tv show so it's unclear how much of this is uh real how much of it is incorrect how much of it is designed to kind of obfuscate our our knowledge of the town i think the big question is at the end how much of this really relates to what's going to happen next year i mean Mm -hmm. is this a complete red herring which it could be or is it really suggesting that there's a whole mythology which is going to be introduced? I mean, certainly I doubt they're going to have a book which you have to have read before you've watched the new season. Mm. But it's interesting to think about where it might be going.
0: So I, I listened to the section of the audiobook which is essentially all about Norma and Ed um, and goes into a lot more detail about their history when they were younger, sort of uh, their relationship being on and off and on and off and how they ended up sort of getting separated, and the odd thing is that that's it's a subject that is referred to very directly in the show itself. Where I can imagine the scene right now, they're sitting in the diner and they're talking about mm. how they ended up mm. not quite get, get, making their relationship work originally, and sort of reminiscing and looking back on it, and it's the two characters in the show talking about it directly so they should know what happened to them and yet in the audiobook and in in the in presumably the documents that are in the book it's not the same yeah and some of the events of the past when they were younger that kept them apart that they talk about are completely different and contradictory yeah. in some ways to what they talk about in the show so
1: uh, the the way that big ed ends up with nadine is very different and we know It's very odd that one of the creators of the show, Mark Frost, has written a book which he knows what happened in the Twin Peaks TV show. Mm. And he has essentially rewritten certain parts of that history for unknown reasons. And I think there's a very famous scene where I think it's Big Ed actually explaining what happened to Nadine's eye. Mm. Uh, She wears an eye patch for the TV show um, owing to an event that happened earlier on. And I think he's explaining it to Sheriff Truman cooper and also albert as well who's trying not to laugh when he's hearing this story um but the story is different in this book it's a different um it's a different series of events and i think it's kind of intriguing to know whether there's been whether essentially within the device of this dossier there are events which have been written down they've been misremembered maybe or they've been altered by somebody who's trying to misdirect people who have it namely the fbi who are investigating this case i mean there could be many ways to read this it could all be nothing it could be that everyone is looking into this in in far too much depth but it's quite exciting that they've come up with a interesting way to kind of take the twin peaks mythology forward without potentially having to invest in it in the tv show Hmm. and i presume that because it only finished filming early this year this book must have been written maybe before the show was um, back in production maybe even during that time as well so it's unclear how much it's all going to match up. It could just be the ramblings of Mark Frost. My feeling is that there will be something deeper. Um, it's unclear even if the dossier will physically show up in, you know, in, the, uh, in the Twin Peaks uh, season three uh, next year. Or even if any of the characters, such as this new FBI agent who's investigating the, arch- uh, the archivist, actually turns up as well i mean it kind of raises lots of questions but in it is it's a beautifully made book as well it's rare that you get a book which looks really nice and so they're really cool facsimile copies of documents and statements from people at the time like i said diary entries and you can read it and it's kind of quite fun to kind of delve into this kind of mythology because clearly a lot of thought has been put into it but as a twin peaks fan it's also really tempting to pause and try and work out what it all means which can be quite distracting and as a side note, it's actually really nice to read the um, to read it alongside the audiobook because I found some of the text really difficult to follow mm. because there are lots of handwritten uh, cursive letters which mm. are damaged and from like the 1800s, etc., which are very difficult to read. But actually, I'm ha- having them read out to you, but it does actually help <laughs> quite a lot to follow what's going on.
0: So um, there was another Twin Peaks book you were reading, though,
1: wasn't there? Yeah, so... Actually, it's one that you got me, which is uh, a book called Reflections, an oral history of Twin Peaks by Brad Dukes. I think it came out a couple of years ago, but um, I only read it this year. And it's very much a, how would I describe it? It's kind of like um, a retrospective on the TV show where uh, this guy has gone back and interviewed a lot of the um, cast and production crew of the original Twin Peaks show. And this is actually before it was Announced as returning, I think, so it must be a couple of years old now. And it contains lots and lots of interviews with people involved with it who talk about their time making the show, the impact it had, the plots that took place in it, um, the ideas that were floated around, where the show was originally going to go, what the original ideas were. And it's all based around these interviews that this guy has done, or at least collated over the last few years. Um, because a lot of the cast are still alive, and I think everyone well not many of them have actually gone on to become super famous uh, some have but they all seem very willing and eager to talk about their time on Twin Peaks um, and it's a, like if you're a fan of Twin Peaks it's really fun just to kind of dip into it and read it and read it through as almost like one long Wikipedia article about <laughs> about the making of Twin Peaks but I think when I was reading that we also got discussing a few things about that kind of book so Essentially it is, yeah, it's it's like a guide to the show. And it was strange because I think the last time we bought any kind of guide to a show was probably about 10 years ago. But they both, but that type of book used to be extremely popular.
0: Yeah. I, I think certainly up until maybe sort of the late 90s, early noughties, you used to get these books published all the time, particularly for genre shows where you know they had like a, a big cult following who effectively just wanted information um any information they could get about the show itself about how it was made um all, all the the all the detail behind the mythology of it all that kind of thing and you used to get these books come out all the time yeah. sometimes you would get a new book released every year particularly with the episode guides yeah i used I, to get
1: them for the x-files yeah like every to- year had like you know, it was a it was a small book It was ridiculously overpriced and it was produced by like Fox television or whatever as a hard copy episode guide. It took you through like the conception of the show, what they were going to do each season and it'd have an episode guide in it. And like a critical analysis that obviously because it was from the makers of the X-Files, as an example, was never actually that critical. <laughs> it always, you know, at worst, it would say this episode is very, very good. <laughs> At best, it was it, it would claim this was the greatest episode of television ever. But that didn't matter. If you're a fan of these shows, it's what you wanted to see.
0: Hmm. And it it really sort of um, met a sort of thirst for information that was there among the fan base, which you couldn't just go out and easily find on the internet. And I, I think a, an awful lot of the information that you could now get, now you've got entire websites devoted to analysing the minutiae Of these shows that have their own episode guides in um, and their own research and analysis. It's almost sort of supplanted the purpose of these books and you don't get them so much anymore. But I I remember back when Buffy was on uh, and they had an episode guide called The Watcher's Guide. We've got one, we've got one on the shelf, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Which is the most recent copy I have, which uh, I think goes up to. Um, the end of series three (laughs) let's have a look yeah what's my line part two Uh, and then it's got it's got interviews with the cast in it's got um photos it's got bits of scripts
1: and they also used to have like a segment in the middle that was glossy color photos yeah like 10 of them right planted in the middle of the book that you could look at
0: Actually you know what? This just goes up to the end of series two.
1: Oh wow, so there were more.
0: Yeah. Um I don't know where my series three one is. It's got a monster guide in here, um bios of all the characters, it's maps of the town, all the all the kind of thing that, you know, fans would would love that you can now largely find on the internet. And they would release a new one of these every year. This was an official one, but you could get loads of unofficial ones as well. Um, and every year new one would come out that had added in the episode guides for the new season that had been out and they were huge and i think you just don't really see them anymore
1: yeah i mean i I think they do exist but they are they're not as prominent or as useful as they used to be like you said because you can get all this information online um i mean it used to be the case that you had to go to message boards to kind of discuss things with people
2: Mm.
1: there were official websites that shows had that had a bit of information on but it was almost like this was a document that, in your hands, you could keep with you if you wanted to kind of discuss uh, the show or read back over things with people. And it was that idea that you felt like you were involved in the making of it. You know, somehow you really had an insight into what was going on behind the scenes just by having interviews with people. And it was also the time when um, I certainly used to buy loads and loads of magazines mm. um, relating to that. So things like I remember things like Starburst and back in the day i probably used to um, find the same things in sfx etc you know if it had if it had on the cover some headline saying this is your you know that there'll be a feature about this specific show i would buy it and i would want to read it and you'd pour over it as if it was like the gospel about this show that you <laughs> wanted to follow but i'm not sure that really happens as much anymore
0: no I, I think i think you get so much analysis online some of it even before the shows have come out um, as people analyse trailers and try to theorise about what's going to happen I, I think also now with a lot of particularly big shows an awful lot of information leaks from people photographing, um, filming on location yep. I, I think that's happened with Doctor Who loads of times yep. where pe- people have snapped pictures of certain people or you know dressed in certain costumes and it finds its way online and everyone talks about it beforehand and I, I certainly think the the concept of the episode guide is now something that probably only really exists online, where for a big show, every episode has its own Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Um, so I, I think now when they do bring out these books that are related to a show, it's very much more either sort of a, a, a making-of kind of book that goes over a whole history, or it's something that attempts to delve into a particular part of the canon and elaborate on it
1: so Buffy's still churning them out actually um, but that still has a life in in its comic book form actually so maybe that's why that's still
0: yeah uh, is, so what was producing. that one that I got that is the uh, Demons of the Hellmouth yeah. is the one that I, I, I picked up recently which is pretty much as it suggests it's it's an analysis of all the different types of demon and monster and things that appear. and the
1: making of a Slayer book as well which, which yeah. does the same kind of thing as these old old guides to the TV show.
0: Yeah, so looking back on on the making of the show and a a retrospective on it but it it used to be so exciting when a new one of these things came out every year Um, so I've only got the one watcher's guide but I think they did release seven of them Mm. because there's a new one out every year and of course we were so far behind the US um, often we would be a good year behind when it had been screened in the US and so these books were coming out in the US sometimes before the show had even been screened over here.
1: Yeah, I think now we complain when shows are running a couple of months behind. Mm. I mean, certainly with some of the things we're watching at the moment, it is a bit of a pain when you find out things about shows which are you know which have just aired in the US but won't air in the UK for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But it used to be the case that things were properly a year behind, mm. and that was a real pain because you would know about this information well, well you had to kind of avoid that information if you could but to know that the US was like a year a year ahead was a kind of a strange concept so you had these guys to keep you going but now I think with uh, so much interaction between uh, viewers and critics and also TV show uh, productions anyway via Twitter and Facebook like that, it's all kind of coming out around the same time so there's instant analysis of everything everything is dissected immediately online you can interact with people very easily now um, those things didn't exist so these were like a, a like an actual record of of these shows um, in a form that you could keep and put on your bookshelf and occasionally dip into mm. and it was almost one of the things that to an extent would mark you out as a fan of something if you had like a guide to something or you had like merchandise i mean merchandising was never that big uh, for genre shows i mean certainly for for science fiction things there's probably more merchandise than there and there is for other things but predominantly the things that used to sell were books mm. and magazines and, and related things i mean it was that and t-shirts that you used to get everywhere if you'd pop to hmv there'd be a whole new selection of <laughs> you know, of logo T-shirts for, for different TV shows.
0: Yeah, and, and a whole rack of posters. Um, there'd always be, like, cast posters of all these yeah. shows. And there'd be an the same, Yeah, and
1: the same stock photos you would see. There would be the mm. covers of books, posters. And, mm. and that's what people used to have on their walls, I remember. Mm. And it's kind of strange that whole thing is gone. But at the same time, it, I mean, do you think it's a good thing that we have all this information now and we could, like, watch it and dissect it uh, online?
0: I, I think it's... I think it's a little bit of information overload, particularly where there is still a delay. Um, For example, we watch a lot of the DCCW shows and we're two or three weeks behind the US, Mm. um, which I think Sky tends to do so that when they have a a short break in the US, we just carry on through and then eventually catch up with them by the end of the season. But at the moment, it's a bit frustrating because if you follow any of them on Facebook or anything, you have to... Ignore anything that's coming out until we've caught up with them because they're posting uh, s- screenshots and discussions and things about the episode that's just aired over there, and we're a couple of weeks away. And y- you try and avoid spoilers as much as you can. Um, but uh, ironically, it's it's more difficult to avoid spoilers now, even though we're only a couple of weeks behind, or sometimes even days behind, than it used to be when we were a year behind but you didn't have this massive social media that just threw information in front mm. of you. So I, I distinctly remember back in the days of CFAX and Teletext, <laughs> I remember there was an advert on Teletext, it must have been Channel 5 Teletext or something, for a premium rate phone line that you could phone up and it would give you all the spoilers from the shows that had just aired in the US. And it was like a full-page advert and it would... You know, it, it was basically the equivalent of clickbait. It would have all these questions of like, oh, who turned out to be a vampire on Buffy or who um, who dies in whatever show. And you could phone up this expensive phone line to find out because there was no other way of finding out at the time. And these things just seem bizarre now. Cause Thank take... God we
1: don't have clickbait anymore.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, dear. It's, it, it was just that there were... There wasn't enough information out there to satisfy the demand for information that existed, and so people looked for information wherever they could get it. And now we have this almost information overload, where even if you don't want the information, you can sometimes hardly avoid it. Yeah. I mean, there are. I remember there was some big kerfuffle about Game of Thrones um, about a year ago or so. It's, it's not something that either of us watch, so. It, it didn't bother us but apparently people got really annoyed because the front page of the Metro or page three of the Metro or something like that put a massive spoiler on the day after the episode aired where something dramatic apparently happened and there were loads of people who hadn't watched it because it had only been 12 hours so far and they just hadn't had the time and then suddenly they opened the paper and there it was staring them in the face um, and a lot of people got very angry about it Because they just didn't want to know, Um, but it's now almost reached the point where if you haven't seen something as it aired, at the very moment it aired, then that's too bad because everyone's going to be talking about it and waving placards in your face with the (laughs) with the um, uh, details of what happened on it. And I think back to when you had to phone a premium rate phone line to find out these things, and now it's in the metro.
1: I think it does go back to this idea. It's with film and TV as well. There's, you know, there's clearly a demand for this information, and it's being oversaturated by the people, you know, producing anything that will essentially publicise these shows. And it's a bit of a shame because it was nice when, certainly back in the mid '90s, you could probably watch a TV show, which had aired you know a full year before in the US and still you could be watching it with virtually no information other than the blurb that came in the TV guide about what was going to happen that week it was so difficult to find out information unless you really made an effort to do so you know shows were still surprising and they had kind of you know they could keep secrets back a full year from other countries just by you know uh, just by not putting too much information out there Which I think going back to what we started talking about originally, that's why it's kind of interesting that a show like Twin Peaks is coming back next year with a very, very large cast with potentially huge ramifications, I think, for how TV might work. Because it might mean that everyone starts doing the whole nostalgia thing and and bringing back all these old shows.
2: Um, and th-
0: there are other shows, sort of from that era, hmm. that people either have brought back or are thinking about. So, the X Files came back, yeah, um, for a very short run. Are they doing that again? Do we know?
2: Ah, uh,
1: they probably will, but I don't think they should. <laughs> you know, it was a uh, yeah, it was it was difficult to watch that.
0: I wasn't keen on how they twisted the story.
1: Yeah, um, they kind of redid the whole mythology, and that shows probably what happens when you. You know, when you bring a show back um, and you haven't really thought it through, mm. um, the X-Files is what happens. You know, but although to be fair, you know, even as a fan of it, I think it did lose its way somewhere in the middle of its run and never really recovered, but you were still loyal enough to watch it. Mm. But I think now, I mean, it's, yeah, it's unclear. I mean, every show that comes out is so heavily trailered and previewed and you know exactly what's going to happen. So, you, you know, so you turn on watching an episode knowing exactly what you want to get and what you're going to get out of these things and maybe you know i don't know if that's a good thing or not um i prefer to kind of like a show and then when it airs you're seeing it for the first time and the surprises are still there and i think that probably next year twin peaks could turn out to be very very surprising
0: episode three next time
1: episode four mm. <laughs> but you didn't see that one coming uh, no prizes if you did <laughs> um, and so what we're we going to be talking about next time
0: uh, I think um, I'm in the middle of reading the new Sean Tan book so I'll probably talk about that and how different it is from his previous work but it's still very good
1: how's it different from previous one
0: so it's um, largely um, sculpture and photography okay instead of artwork um, which is very interesting it's, it's, it's a beautiful book it's very nicely done
1: okay so next time episode four
0: mm. goodbye
1: goodbye <laughs>